I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 46. Isaiah 46. It's good to hear the good things that God is doing in people's lives. Uh, blessing. So thank you to all of you who have uh, shared with us this morning, honestly, and from your hearts. Isaiah 46 is a text that became precious to me a few years back. And what I want to do is I want to read through it and I want to kind of summarize it in three basic categories. The first category is man-made gods. The second is the living God. And the third is the seeking God. So we'll start with man-made gods. Verse 1 of chapter 46. It says, Bel bows down and Nebo stoops. Now, right away, you should be thinking in your mind, who are Bel and Nebo? And Bel and Nebo were the chief gods of Babylon. And Babylon was the nation that was coming to, in 586, 605, 597, in those three dates, coming to bring destruction to the nation of Israel. And so Israel has questions about Babylon, and God is speaking to his people about the false gods of Babylon. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops low. Their idols are born by beast of burden. Meaning the physical representations of the said gods are on carts that people carry. You kind of seen this personally in India on numerous occasions. They're born by beast of burdens. The images that are carried about are burdensome. Okay, so the God that you serve, you have to carry. You have to bear him. You have to get him from point A to point B. And the result is that that kind of religious lifestyle that says you have to do to have the favor of the God becomes a burden for the devotees. They are a burden for the weary, the end of verse 1 says. They stoop down and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden. Meaning, the gods can't assist in helping with the burden. The burden becomes a burden to those that are devoted to it. They themselves go off into captivity. Meaning, when Babylon is defeated, what happens? In the ancient world, you would take the gods of the conquered country, and you take those gods home to your country, and what were you saying? Our God is stronger than your God. Hence, our God defeated your God, so we're taking the symbols of your God home with us to say that we are stronger. And then Isaiah cries out. He says, listen to me, you descendants of Jacob. All the remnant of Israel, that symbolic group in the Old Testament of the people of God. He calls them to listen. So first, this description of man-made gods that are unable to help. Who fail under the forces that are beyond their control. But listen to me, you people of God, you whom I have upheld since your conception and have carried since you were born, even to your old and gray or old age and gray hairs. I am he who will sustain you. I will. I have made you and I will carry you and I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Do you notice the distinct shift in emphasis? The gods of false hopes are carried. They are burdens for the bearers. And that's true in every realm. The person that becomes a slave to money has to carry the burden of resources and protecting it. The person that is a slave to substances has to hide the habit and carry it. 
The person that is devoted to religious performance has to maintain a certain image in the public environment to be somebody like Nicodemus. The woman of John chapter 4 who was given over to sexual slavery had to bear the burden of finding more. The gods that don't satisfy. And God calls out through His prophet and says, Listen to me, my people. You that I have upheld since your birth, carried since you were born, and to your gray hairs. Which is to do what? It's to book, put bookends on the scope of life. From the beginning to the end, what is God saying to Israel? He's saying, I have carried you since you were born. In your old age, I am He. I am He who will sustain you, who has made you, who will carry you, who will sustain you again and rescue you. This is the living God. In all of your life, mighty and active, a text that is laden with promises that relate to the past, but also that relate to the future. And I love the, I love the twist in this text. The gods were carried and became a burden. And God says to his people, he says, listen, give up your burdens and I will carry you. And that to me is an amazing and stunning statement of the power and glory of God. And then he asked this question because we all have a tendency to deviate, don't we? As Marie just honestly shared with us, we all have a tendency to want other things to be the source of satisfaction. We want other things to be living water. We want other things to be bread of life. We want other things to satisfy. And so we pursue all kinds of things. It can be family. It can be career. It can be happiness, financial security. It can be substances. It can be anything that we think we have to have in order to be somebody or to be happy. And what are we doing? We are really shaping images. We're shaping things that we think will finally satisfy. If I could have this. That would be enough, the perfect home, the perfect marriage, the perfect job, the perfect church, the perfect pastor. You don't have him. But we, we just, no, if I had this, if I had this, it's, it's, it's all these other things. No, it's you trying to stick a round peg in a square hole in your heart. And it's God saying, I'm here. And so he interrogates his people with this question. He says, with whom will you compare me or count me equal? Who is tantamount to God? I mean, to the living God. To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? And then he goes into an illustration of making a God. He says, some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a God. And they bow down. And worship it. And automatically what do we think? We think images. I've seen plenty of images in Indonesia and in India. Many. I haven't seen them satisfying. But I've seen many. It's exactly what he's talking about. We tend to, in the Western culture, we, we, we create other idols. They're less tangible. They're not visible on the shelf. They're less offensive. They're easier to keep quiet and hidden. But they're what we're counting on to make our life matter. Verse 7, they lift this man-made God, this false hope, to their shoulders. And they carry it. They set it up in its place where it stands. Now listen to this indictment now that God gives. So they pour out gold out of their wealth, thinking they'll build something that can sustain them and satisfy, give them hope. In the West we do that. In our, in our, in our, in our, our, our desire in this culture for financial stability, we erect great towers, statements, freedom towers. To make a statement about what? 
that we are substantive and substantial when we may be looking at an idol. Here's the problem with idols. Here's the problem with buildings like Freedom Towers. Listen to what it says. Even though someone cries out to it, from its spot, it cannot move. Though people cry out to it, it cannot answer. It cannot save them from their troubles. That's the indictment that God gives to the idle tendency that is present in every one of our hearts. To find something that will satisfy, that will make life worthwhile and worth living. And then he gives this invitation to his people. So first you see man-made gods. Secondly, the living God who says, stop bearing burdens. I will carry you. I will sustain you. I will forgive you. Verse 8, we find the seeking God. He says, remember this and keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you, what's the next word? Rebels. Ouch. He doesn't say you sinners, he says you rebels. Because when I seek another authority in place of the authority, what am I doing? I'm starting a revolution. I looked up a definition of the word rebels. Rebels are people who want their life on their own terms. They are a person, they are people who rise in opposition or arm resistance to an established known ruler. A rebel refuses allegiance, they resist and defy. I do that. I do that. This is uncomfortable. God says, remember the former things. Those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. Now how can you make known the end from the beginning? The only way you can do that is if you control the future. From ancient times, what is still to come. And I love this next phrase. I say, God, my purpose will stand and I will do what I please. I love that verse. Because in the midst of all of the seekers of power, God stands in the midst of all of the idols, of all of the lesser gods. And what does he say? He says, my purpose will stand and I will do what I please. And then he gives this illustration of this authority. He says, from the east I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. That historically will be King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon. Where Nebo and Bel rule. God says, I will summon from the east a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purposes. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. And then he comes back to this, listen to me. So what is God saying? He, he, he talks about himself, the true living God. He undresses false gods. And then he gives a call to people. And in that call, what does he say? Listen to me. Remember me. And again here, what does he do? He comes back to this, listen to me, you stubborn-hearted. Do you ever find this tendency? We sing that song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the one I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Do you know that in your own heart, this tendency to want other things than God to make us happy so that we can be in control? We pour out the gold, we say shape it like this, we want a God who bows down to us. 
We want to control our lives. That God that you bow down to will, will rule your life. The living God says, listen to me, Tim Hoff, you stubborn hearted. Listen. Anybody here have a problem with listening? Right? What is God saying? He's saying, listen. Because what? Is, listen. Listen is a call to do what? Not simply to gain syllables, put them into words and sentences and say, okay, I heard what you said. Listen is a call to respond. So the God who clearly undresses the gods and clearly gives a call to his people now is inviting. He is the seeking God. The God of true and living hope. Listen to me, you stubborn hearted, you who are far from my righteousness. Folks, listen, there's a tendency on the part of humanity to think that we are too far gone. That our sin has severed all opportunity of a relationship with God. That the ugliness of our hearts that other people don't know, the resentment and the bitterness, the things that pile up, the hidden sins, we think they keep us from God. And then people try religion. They say, well, I'll try being moral. That's what Nicodemus tried. He tried living the good life and failed. And Jesus came to him and said, Nicodemus, you must be born from above. You must let God change your heart. And folks, here's what I want you to know this morning. Though we all tend to make gods and we all have an idol shelf in our hearts and we erect our precious things there, here's what God wants to do. God wants to wipe the shelf clean and he wants to be king of kings and lord of lords in your life. And he wants to do that in spite of the fact that every one of us here this morning have the same problem. We are all rebels who want life on our terms. And the reason many of us resist God is because we want to control our lives. And if I have a real God, if I have the living God who controls all things, my very breath, then I can't be in charge anymore. And you think that's bad news. And I want you to know this morning, that's the best news you could ever hear. One person said to me recently, he said, so what do you think about all these other paths and all these other gods and all this other stuff? And I said, can I be honest? And he said, yes. I said, every one of them is a hope. Every one of them is a hope. But it is a false hope. Only one God came in human flesh and bore the sin that I deserve to die for that we sung so beautifully about this morning. Only one Savior who came down willingly of his own volition and bore my sin on the cross and says to me, listen to me, you stubborn hearted. Give up your resistance. Fall freely into the arms of faith and trust in what Christ has done for you. Now, he says, you who are far from my righteousness. So maybe this morning you're thinking, I would come to God. And I've had people say this to me. Dan Slack, I remember you saying this to me. Dan Slack said to me, if I could get my act together, then I could come to Christ. This is before Dan trusted Christ. He said, I just don't think I could be that person that God wants me to be. I said, well, that's the good news. Jesus came and was that person that you can never be. And then died the death that you should die. So that you could be forgiven. And so Emmanuel, the name that we use to refer to Christ, God in flesh, is he came amongst us, lived the life I could never live, died the death that I should die, so that I could have the hope that I am really longing for. Folks, I understand. I'm honest. People say, well, well Pastor, with all those world religions, how do you know that what you believe is true? 
Because Jesus Christ died and rose again the third day and conquered the grave after living the life I could never live. And he offers to every one of us a glorious hope that we have sung about this morning and that honestly, in your heart, it's what you really want. Here's what happens. A lot of times people hear the story of Christ and you know what they're thinking? I want that to be true. But I can't believe it. And here's what I would encourage you to do. If that's where you are, you say, I want, I, if that was true, that would be awesome. If God really came in flesh to live the life I couldn't live and to die the death that I should die, I want that to be true. I would encourage you in the quietness of your heart to cry out to God and say, God, if that's true, if that is the gospel, the good news, then prove it to me. Show me. Draw my heart. Change my heart. Because I resist that Jesus is the only. I resist that. I understand that. I resist that. If it's true, cry out to God. Say, God, if that's true, draw my heart. Change this heart that doesn't want it to be true and make it believe for your glory. And as you say that, simply say this. God, forgive my stubbornness. Forgive the rebel that lies within that shakes his or her fist in your face and says, I want life on my terms. That's not fair. And ask him to change your heart. I can tell you this. God changed my heart. He changed my heart. I can't take credit. He changed my heart. And this morning he desires to change yours. Here's what God promises at the end of this text. He says, I am bringing my righteousness near. Now listen to this. I will bring my righteousness near. It is not far away and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion and my splendor to my people, Israel. Is that awesome? Because that's the Christmas story. The righteousness of God comes near. Stunning, amazing, beautiful, glorious. And then it's offered to you free of charge. And that is grace. So this morning, I give you these simple challenges in response to verse 8 and verse 12 when God says to you and I, listen, listen. Number one, God loves and seeks rebels. That is clear. So if you're here this morning, you say, well, I'm a sinner. Can God love me? He already does. He loves and seeks people just like Tim Hoff. Imperfect rebels who need grace. Secondly, this God is able to respond when you pray. He can move from his spot. And I challenge you to read through this text. And I've seen this happen in my travels around the world. Crying out to God's, giving offerings to God's to earn a favor. That is not grace. That is the bondage of religion. And God came near in the person of Christ because he is able and desires to save 1 John 3 says, Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil and to set us free. Lastly, God is worthy as we move into this new year of all of our trust. He is not a God that sits on a shelf, unable to move from his spot, unable to answer. He is a God who is near. And I don't know as you move into this new year what your big fear is. We all have them. Some of us admit them and some of us don't. I'm sure, Marie, as you go back to Cambodia, that there are things that you fear that you've got to give to God, right? And you're the one going. Thank you for your example of faith. 
Because faith isn't the absence of fear. Faith is trusting God in the midst of what you fear. Faith is trusting God in the midst of obedience in what you fear. And saying, God, I trust you. I believe that you can move from where you are. I believe that when I call, you can answer. And this morning, I would encourage you to give 2014 into the hands of the one who is already there. Into the hands of the one who was before, before. And trust him. Father, we thank you.